Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Good morning, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's so wonderful to be together again. I, I look so forward to our weekly conversations. I do as well. Well, I know our last conversation, we spoke about staying with the discomfort, which can sometimes feel like a really heavy burden. Well, you know, Anna, it is very often. It, you know, it's a lot to ask of ourselves to, you know, be open to and kind of call out the difficulties, sit with them, um, but they bring in new discoveries, you know, but it's still difficult, even though we find you know, information that we hadn't had before, you know, it's asking a lot of ourselves because as you recall, our entire system is wired for safety. So this really kind of moves against what the natural wiring is all about. Why would I seek out danger or seek out what is uncomfortable? You know, but, but as we become more adept in, the, in our present moment awareness, we attend more closely to what's happening and we can actually become skillful at discerning Really, the difference between what we call state and story. The state is that physiological reaction. And the story is really how the thinking mind interprets that reactivity. And it really is kind of cool to recognize these inner workings. Yeah, this is really cool how state, the psychological reactivity, and story, how the thinking mind interprets the reactivity. It's interesting how that's the reason we stay in the present moment in our body. Well, that's right. And, and we're not so much interested in the content of the thoughts and feelings as we are in kind of noticing the process of our direct experience is kind of sensing the breath and noticing the mind, noticing the feelings, the thoughts that distract us, hearing the sounds, you know, feeling the sensations, and all of these thoughts and images and worries and judgments and opinions all show up in the moment, show up in our consciousness right there in the moment, and then they all kind of move away, kind of fade away. So we learn that we can be with this process, and we can be with it with really kind of a kindness and curiosity, but it takes practice. It takes practice to continue to show up for it. Yeah, I can see how this, this you know, this could be difficult sometimes depending on the thoughts that are showing up. So it's easy to understand the importance of how the practice helps develop the awareness skills. That's right. That's right. You know, the sensation, uh, the, the sensations that we are tracking in our bodies really bring us into that present moment awareness. And then the focused attention to our breath leads us into experiencing ourselves as kind of a, a, the part of a, a greater flow. Mm -hmm. And, and the out-breath, you know, as we begin to exhale, because it triggers the parasympathetic, um, it, it allows us to deepen into our experiences. And very often we become more present and more aware. And th the lovely thing about this is that we can practice it anytime, anywhere. And the more frequently we do it, the better. You know, so this helps us create an environment of acceptance to whatever arises. That I can be with the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I've said before, you know, as it arises moment by moment, whether that be good feelings, because certainly we also want to be able to be with the good feelings, but also any discomfort or any conflict. Yeah. Dr. Jane, we talked about this topic during our last conversation, the conflict between the way things are and the way we want them to be. Yes, and, and the, the, 
the thing is, is that the more we wish our lives were different in this moment, very often, the more we feel um, bad about ourselves. And there was a, um, there's a diagram that I very often draw on the board in my classes. And it really is a, a simple kind of a, a phenomena of um, I'm here and this is where I think I should be. And that gap, that gap is really a, an incredible indicator of our own individual unhappiness because I'm not able to embrace where I am, where I am in this moment. Most of us believe our, our happiness really depends on things that are outside of ourselves, external to us. Yeah, I think the key would be to remember that this doesn't mean we can't plan and improve ourselves or try to seek a happier life. Well, no, no. Um, actually, it, it puts us in touch with the truth of happiness. And the truth of happiness is that it really is an inside job. You know, our much of our, our lives are in pursuit of externals, you know, avoiding this internal experience. And particularly if we find the internal experience uncomfortable, you know, I want to get out there. I want to move out there. But with present moment awareness skills, we're able to stay close to our experiences and, and also face in to our joys, not just our emotional pain, but our joys as well and our suffering. And from this awareness, we're able to access intuition and, and the inner wisdom to be able to distinguish between safety and discomfort. Because this is, quite frankly, an invaluable starting point because it allows us to, to tap into our vulnerability, which strengthens us from the inside. And we learn that just because something's uncomfortable does not mean that it is not safe. So we're able to stay with it. And from this, we're also able to tap into wisdom, which is that inherent knowing um, that helps us sort this out, that helps us really understand what the consequences of, of our behavior might look like and keeps us aligned with our commitments, keeps us aligned with our, our values, keeps us um, um, really um, anchored in our honor code, even when obstacles occur. So this foundation is, is really, it's not just the foundation, but it's also kind of the scaffolding of conscious choice that brings about longitudinal change, that brings about living with honor and integrity. I mean, it's a conscious choice to do that. So the anchor into this requires that we see ourselves exactly as we are in the moment and accept where we are. And quite frankly, acceptance really kind of evolves in stages, stages where we build tolerance to the discomfort and the distress as it shows up. Yes, this reminds me again about our last episode, turning toward the discomfort. Yeah, yes, yes, and, and we're moving beyond the urge to avoid and resist the discomfort, which is wonderful because that's where we, we dissolve some of that conflict. And we can find that, that, that we can safely endure, really be okay with whatever is arising. So we can befriend what happens to us and what shows up. And we can also extract the experience and really see what the meaning is behind it which we're not able to do otherwise. You know, we're so busy avoiding that we really aren't able to see that somehow this might enable me to move through some difficulty that I'm having or allows me to see myself and the elements within me that, that need to be adjusted or need to be modified 
are remediated. So effective change requires uh, that we establish a very different relationship to what's going on. In fact, uh, it's interesting because there's been recent research with um, the effects of psychotherapy. And they're now saying that kind of that fix-it mentality that's very often used in the therapeutic process isn't always helpful in the healing process. That really it's more about establishing a new relationship to thinking distortions and negative feelings and being less punitive and less judgmental and allowing ourselves, you know, not to get so entangled in the negativity. So this is really a more compassionate, more aware, more friendly kind of an approach to how I might want to change my inner workings. Yeah, this is such an important point. So, so where does self-compassion fit in? Well, self-compassion is really about acceptance. It, it really is a form of acceptance. And I want to say that, that when I say self-compassion and I say acceptance, we're not condoning bad behavior, okay? We're, we're, we're not resigning to putting up or shutting up. Um, it really is about present moment awareness and knowing what I'm accepting as it arises. So it's about acceptance of myself, acceptance of what I might be going through in this moment, um, my acceptance of my feelings, whatever might be uncomfortable, um, acceptance of myself as a person who's struggling, as a person who feels stuck, who might feel that I, I can't do anything to uh, make things better right now. So self-compassion is not about a cognitive process. It's not about a conceptual process. It's not about the mental arena at all. You know, we can't work at it and we can't effort it into reality. It really is about when we reach a point where we can turn ourselves inward without judgment, without, without any kind of a punitive um, frame on ourselves. So this is about turning toward myself with kindness, uh, with curiosity. And when I do this, my heart begins to soften and we really begin to have sympathy for ourselves. But let's, be, let's not make a mistake here because sympathy is not self-pity. Sympathy is really a recognition that this is what I'm going through in the moment, that this is a recognition of the pain. And I'm also, I'm, I'm not abandoning myself. I'm not resisting what's happening. So there's a natural feeling of love and kindness that flows from this. Yeah, I love how you pointed out that this is not self-pity, but our experience in the moment. And so this involves letting the uncomfortable and messy emotions come in. Well, that's right. And we need to remember that without self-compassion, you know, negative feelings usually wind up, you know, um, uh, bringing that kind of self-punitive part of ourselves out where we want to punish ourselves or criticize ourselves. But with self-compassion, you know, we can enter into and kind of sit and, and almost hold our awareness of our negativity or our messiness. We become vulnerable in a very gentle way. And, and this is a striking contrast to the, the harshness of self-criticism. So I can find my capacity to hold the pain and the sorrow that I feel in life and experience my connection with, with humankind because we all go through this. We all experience this, you know, in the fullness of our lives. But it also allows me to take in the beauty of the world as well. Because if I'm, I'm avoiding, I'm usually avoiding the lovely parts as well. 
And it's interesting too, Anna, because when we look at the neuroscience of this, you know, as we move into more of these awareness practices, when we deepen into the quieting techniques and self-compassion, what we're actually doing is stimulating a part of the midbrain called the insula. And this part of the midbrain is our connection to humanity. It really is about compassion toward others, but also compassion toward ourselves, that self-compassion. Dr. Jane, you mentioned earlier that there's an inherent knowing that is also accessible. That's right. That's right. The, the, the inherent knowing that I refer to so often is called the felt sense. And this arises from the vessel of awareness, the body. And it offers us meaning. It offers us invaluable meaning and understanding of ourselves. But it's not the thinking mind articulating this. This is not... This is not that, that cerebral cortex. It tends to be a deeper piece of ourselves that offers us this information. So we can recognize our thoughts and our feelings. We can also harvest insights, um, meaning that, that we might not have been able to access any other way, and meaning to our lives, deepen our understanding of ourselves. It also strengthens us because of this in really a heartfelt way. So there's this kind of a, a tender-hearted way that we can embrace ourselves and understand the meaning that we have in life or the meaning that life has as it moves through us. So with self-compassion, you're willing to be present with yourself, all of yourself, in your body, in the moment, no matter how uncomfortable and messy it may be. That's so, yeah, so what is loving-kindness? Well, loving kindness and compassion um, are really the two sides of the same coin. With loving kindness, we're, we're really wishing ourselves and others um, well-being, you know, health, um, happiness, um, really those positive uh, sides of the continuum of life. And with the self-compassion, we're allowing ourselves to feel the discomfort we're allowing ourselves to feel the suffering, both of ourselves and our compassion for others, is being able to tap into their suffering. So with compassion practices, you know, we're really asking for <clears throat> the ability to stay with the suffering for ourselves and for others. Loving kindness, it's the other end of the continuum that we're wishing well-being for ourselves and well-being for others. Mm -hmm. Are there certain elements within us along with the practice that create the self-compassion or loving-kindness? Well, that's a good question, Anna. Um, there's a psychologist at University of Texas, Austin. Um, her name is uh, Dr. Kristen Neff, and she's done extensive research highlighting uh, specific elements that we have that really move us toward self-compassion. Uh, and uh, it starts... Uh, it starts with self-kindness, which, which really it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But when we're talking about self-kindness, you know, we really need to understand that for many of us, we don't understand what it means to be kind. We know very often that, that when we're in judgment and criticism, we're punitive to, to ourselves. But we all have kind of a different way of framing what is it to be kind. You know, and when I ask people, you know, what, 
What do you do that's, that's kind toward yourself? Very often their kind act involves um, having a forbidden food or a flavored coffee, or maybe they're going to um, um, go shopping or buy themselves something that they want, maybe a, you know, a, a new computer software or, or something you know, jazzy at the, uh, one of the retail stores. So it's really interesting because I, I rarely, if ever, have heard anyone answer that question by saying, you know, I held myself in warmth and understanding for 15, 15 minutes, you know, and yet, and yet, you know, well, unless, of course, they were actually practicing self-compassion. So it really is about I'm going to give myself something from the external, you know, to make me feel good whether it's an escape piece or it's a soothing piece or sedating piece or it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Well, I see how that nice piece of chocolate can be that quick go-to reward. <laughs> well, you know, and, you, and you're absolutely right. And I'm not suggesting that we deprive ourselves of that occasional treat, but what I would suggest that if you're going to have that chocolate, savor it, luxuriate over it as we do on that chocolate meditation video that we did. You know, now that's kindness. That's chocolate and kindness. But the, the other important thing that Dr. Neff talks about is she talks about the present moment awareness and to not, not underestimate how important that is in learning how to be in our capacity for self-compassion. You know, because it's with this present moment awareness that's, that allows us to experience the non-attachment from whatever is coming up, particularly pain, particularly suffering, you know, without any criticism, without any um, um, harshness toward ourselves. And lastly, she talks about our experience in our open-heartedness and self-compassion and how we can also experience in that open-heartedness, not only the open-heartedness toward ourselves, but our connection to humanity, our oneness with humanity, the common bond that we have with everyone, everyone who is suffering, everyone who is in pain. And this can begin to alleviate that sense of isolation and that sense of alienation. Because remember, the insula in the midbrain is being activated and energized. So it's just a natural phenomenon for our entire system to be given the message of connection, of bond. I'm wondering if focusing this much on ourselves will be interpreted by others as being selfish or self-centered. Well, many of us are conditioned um, to believe that pain, 